Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over Bellator 292, which is headlined by Usman Nurmagomedov defending his lightweight title against the veteran Smooth Benson Henderson. And in the co-main event, we got Tofik Musayev going up against Alexander Shabli. And I believe this is, well, I don't believe, I know it is the opening round or at least the first half of the opening round of the Bellator Lightweight World Grand Prix. Usman Nurmagomedov wasting no time defending his title and trying to take on the best that Bellator has to offer in the lightweight division to solidify himself as the true lightweight kingpin. A couple other fun matchups sprinkled out throughout this card, not to mention Michael Venom Page going up against Gaioti Yamauchi, who is actually the Bellator record holder with most submission victories under his name, at least under the Bellator banner. I believe it's up at 8 or 9 at this point in time, but... Don't let his submission record fool you. The guy can definitely strike as he's been able to knock out two of his last three opponents as well. So keep an eye on that matchup. Should be a very fun one. I don't want to waste too much time uh, blabbering at the beginning of the podcast here because we got 12 fights to get through. But I do want to quickly remind you guys to hit that like and subscribe below if you haven't already. I appreciate all the love that I've been getting for the most recent episode of the MMA Lockcast for this weekend's UFC card. Um, I'm, I'm glad that things are headed in the right direction. And also, uh, everybody that's been hopping on ever since then, you guys are absolutely amazing. And I'm sure that you guys are even more ecstatic at that the fact that you guys are getting a full Bellator breakdown card uh, two days before the card now, rather than less than 24 hours before, which is what I did with the last Bellator card. But I was able to get ahead on studying as uh, you know as much as possible. Finished up the card last night and then took the night to just relax and get my wits back about me so I can record this for you guys. So I hopefully or hopefully you guys enjoy that quickly. Before we do jump into it though, uh, like I said, hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. Drop a comment below. Let me know what you guys think about this upcoming bellator card and not to mention who you think actually ends up winning this entire world grand prix does nirmagomedov go the entire way and make it look easy or is there a dark horse a lot of people think it could be alexander shabley let me know what you guys think drop it in the comment section below and just a reminder that there is a pfl challenger series card this weekend week seven they are going to be doing the light heavyweights and actually impak sanganai former middleweight in the ufc and if i'm not mistaken i think he even competed down at welterweight but definitely a middleweight he's going to be fighting for the pfl challenger series trying to make a name for himself and try to get on that main roster and then also we have the lfa 154 card going down in brazil both of those cards are being broken down on the patreon check in the link in the description below been doing great on the regional shows so please if you are looking for action or analysis on those regional shows i got you guys covered i go through every single matchup with a fine tooth comb and i promise i will drop as much knowledge as i can for you on every single fighter on that card and give you my best prediction as well link in the description below all right let's not waste any more time let's get into this 12 fight bellator card which has actually lost a couple fights over the last couple days which is why it's now down to 12 first fight of the the night is going to be going down between Dupree Stewart going up against Dimitri Georgiades. 
Uh, very fun matchup here between two uh, pro debutants, both guys from the California area, and that's what we normally get as guys, uh, especially on the lower ends of these Bellator cards, is usually the regional guys, and that's what we're getting here. Dupree trains with a fighter that's actually going to be competing later on in this card, and Cass Bell, uh, 5-0 and amateur who had a very small, solid run there, capped off by a beautiful submission victory via rear naked choke to pick up an amateur title, but it it was the reason it was so beautiful is because of how we set it up it started off with an Oma Plata attempt which he managed to roll his opponent a couple of times and then he was eventually able to latch onto that neck and take home a submission victory and this guy is only a blue belt so I'm looking forward to seeing his progression throughout his MMA career. He seems like he still needs a little bit of work with the striking game. He's kind of tall for this division, although his opponent this weekend is going to be a little bit taller than him. But I still think he has a lot of tools that he needs to work out. Obviously, getting the professional experience that he's about to get is going to be very beneficial for him. But he seems to have a lot of potential. More potential than his opponent this weekend, Dimitri Georgiaitis, who, uh, you know, trains with uh, Jeremiah Labiano, a former Bellator veteran as well, I believe, former Contender Series veteran as well, if I'm not mistaken. Seems to have a decent all-around game, although he went 2-2 two and two on the amateur scene before making his jump to the uh, professional ranks. I'm not sure if the amateur guys were or the amateur commentators were exaggerating here, but we do have a lanky fighter, and that's why his Instagram handle is LankyMMA. Apparently, he's six foot five for this welterweight division, which is gigantic, and he doesn't really have a great understanding of how to utilize his range. He has a decent kicking game and a good one-two down the middle, but it's obvious that he wants to look to get fights to the ground where he can utilize his brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm not overly impressed with him because it seems like he's a little bit too aggressive at times and sometimes that forces him to overextend whether it's with his wrestling uh, or his uh, jiu-jitsu, whatever it might be. But I've seen opponents take advantage of some of his shortcomings uh, in terms of the technical aspects of his game. And I think that's where he's going to fall victim to in this matchup. Again, I don't have too much confidence on the Dupree Stewart side considering how young he still is in his career, but he seems to be the one with a little bit more potential in his game, which is why I'm going to end up siding with him in this matchup not too hot on his uh chalky line but i do think he ends up getting his hand raised but if dimitri can start working out a couple of the kinks within his game look out for this guy because a six foot five welterweight is always going to be hard to deal with for a lot of fighters i'm assuming he'll eventually work into that middleweight body of his as he starts to get older but curious to see what a six foot five welterweight brings to the table Next up, we got Theo Haig going up against Adam Wamsley. Haig jumping into his second professional MMA fight, and he's still relatively green, but he has a very solid wrestling game that he showcased in his professional debut, and you got to believe that he does have very good wrestling considering that he trains out of the American Kickboxing Academy. Again, it's always like weird or a bit of an oxymoron to say a guy training out of the American Kickboxing Academy has great wrestling, but that's pretty much been the story of AKA fighters, most notably Daniel Cormier, Cain Velasquez, and the famous and probably one of the best fighters of all time, Khabib Nurmagomedov. But that's what Theo brings to the table. He's a strong wrestler, is able to get fights to the ground, stay patient and disciplined on the mat until a finishing opportunity presents itself, and then he's able to get the submission and take it on home with him. Looks like he has a lot of potential. He's very athletic. He's a strength and conditioning coach on his off time, so that's something to keep in, in mind here. But I still want to see more from his game before I trust him as a minus 6, 7, or 800 favorite, no matter who he's going up against. 
who he's going up against this week. And him is, is Adam Wamsley, who has a 2-2 two and two professional record and had an up-and-down amateur career, which actually included a loss to now UFC fighter Jamal Pogues. Uh, Wamsley doesn't seem to be the biggest middleweight on the roster, but I'm curious to see what he brings to the table here with his strength. His striking still needs a little bit of work, but his wrestling and, like I said, his strength is probably the shining part of his game. He's able to get opponents to the ground and grind them out from that top position, usually picking up his wins via decision. But he doesn't mind exchanging in firefights if that's what you want to bring to the table. And I don't think that's what he's going to get here with Haig, who's going to be looking to take this fight to the ground over and over again. I think Haig has more potential here, and Wamsey's definitely getting up there in age. I think he's one of those guys that... You know, he, you saw that he was very much beaten up when he lost his last fight against Earl Small because he realized that he was on a short clock with his career considering that he's 31, 32 years old and only having three or four professional fights under his belt. He knew that one slip up probably cost him, especially with the ability to build some momentum to eventually make it to the UFC, which is usually every fighter's goal. But uh, I do think Haig is the better fighter here. I think he'll be able to get the takedowns and get the better positions here, which will allow him to eventually lock up a submission victory. But again, money line a little bit too wide for somebody who we're just putting potential on, right? Like I need to see hard facts. I need to see legitimate tape on this guy and more than just one fight to be willing to put minus 800 down into a parlay or anything like that. But Haig should win this fight. Um, Wamsley has the experience, has over 13 fights through his professional and amateur MMA career, which could come in handy in this matchup. And we have no idea what Haig's cardio looks like either. However, just off the potential alone, I'm going to go with Haig is my prediction, but I'll be staying away from this matchup as a whole. Next up, we got another AKA product here. We got Vladimir Govea going up against Sean Tucker. We all know what this is here. Govea, obviously, having success in his first ever amateur or professional fight last time around, where he was able to dispose of Corey Mogenberg by knockout. And although he's a BJJ black belt, a highly touted BJJ black belt, albeit, uh, we didn't really get to see much of his ground game. He did have some fun on the ground in the latter half of that first round, but for the most part was more than content with just slinging leather and trying to get some experience in that live action realm with his striking. And that's what allowed him to get his victory that night where he was able to knock out or at least get a standing TKO against Corey Mogenberg to get his hand raised, I believe a day before his birthday as well. Um, you know, another guy similar to Haig where I need to see a little bit more from him before I trust him with this heavy price tag. Um, you know, this is a fight against a low-level regional heavyweight who seems to have a solid understanding of the striking realm in terms of the basics and the the technical aspects of, of boxing, but still a very low-level fighter in Sean Tucker. But if Govea wants to go out there and sling leather with Tucker, anything can happen in low-level MMA or low-level heavyweight MMA. And that's what we have on our hands here. I would advise for Govea to look to get this fight to the ground as soon as possible and utilize this high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt to try to get his hand raised in this matchup. If he messes around a little bit too much in the striking room, he could pay for that. You know, I, there was a the last CFFC event, there was a minus 800 heavyweight. I believe his name was Ian Alston or Alliston. And got knocked out, you know, he was a minus 800 favorite. And that's just what happens in low-level heavyweights or, or, or low-level heavyweight matchups where we don't have enough information on the one fighter who's such a big favorite. Uh, again, Govea, high-level black belt, but his willingness to exchange with Mogenberg was a little bit concerning for me, other than the fact that he probably just wanted to get some experience under his belt. 
he shouldn't do that here against Sean Tucker. Even though Sean Tucker's one in three, the guy can definitely strike. Again, not a high-level striker by any means, but can definitely take advantage of somebody who's still raw and new in their MMA career. I think Govea wins this fight. I think Govea will likely take this to the ground and look for a submission. Um, but another fight that will likely end up passing here, Govea should still get this one done. Next up, uh, a former AKA product here. We got Laird Anderson going up against Rogelio Luna. Anderson now finds himself training out of Fortis MMA in Dallas, Texas. I'm not entirely sure why he decided to make the move considering how high level of a gym AKA is to begin with, but seems like he wanted to evolve and diversify his training a little bit, and that's what he ended up doing by going down to Fortis MMA. He's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and you saw him utilize that in his last matchup where he was able to get the crucifix TKO, I believe it was, over his opponent. Um, he did make his Bellator debut back in 2018, went to a close split decision, and then he ended up taking off a couple years, worked on the rest of his game, but still we ended up just seeing him use his grappling in his next two fights. But he is a high-level black belt, and you can see his proficiency when he's able to take a fights to the ground where he's just disciplined, waiting for his opportunities to get that dominant position to eventually get that choke or that TKO finish from on top. His opponent this weekend, Rogelio Luna, is an absolute brawler. I had a blast watching the two fights I could find of this kid, and it just so happened to be his first amateur fight and his last fight, which was his professional MMA debut, and they both looked the same. He went out there and brawled with his opponents, showcasing his durability and showcased his willingness to exchange in firefights. The guy wants to go out there and just go into a slugfest, hoping to knock his opponents out. Unfortunately, when he fights better technical fighters, those are the ones that are going to be able to take advantage of his recklessness, get him to the ground and get the fight done with. And that's ex exactly what I'm expecting with Anderson here. Luna is a fighter. Don't get me wrong. He's one of those guys that's going to push the pace and try to bring it to you. However, I do see the shortcomings in his wrestling game and his grappling game that Anderson will more than likely be able to take advantage of. I think he gets this fight to the ground and then soon thereafter will eventually find a finish. I like Anderson in the spot. I see why he is the big favorite in this fight and I truly believe that he's more than worthy of that juice. So I'm going to go Anderson and Anderson by decision. Now we start picking up the level of competitive matchups or somewhat competitive matchups compared to the earlier portions of the Bellator card. We got Julius Angliskis going up against Dovletsin Yagshi Muradov. Very fun fight here, and I'm kind of surprised that Yagshi Muradov is actually the underdog in this matchup, as I thought that the just the notion of a guy with the Muradov in his name or the Av in his name would likely make people want to bet him against a guy who just got all grappled in his last two matchups. But it seems like the public is privy to the to what I see on tape, and that Julius Anglikskis has decent takedown defense and good um, you know uh, ability to telegraph the shots that are coming his way against guys that are not Vadim Nemkov or Phil Davis. And Yagshi Murdoff is not a relentless grappler like those last two fighters that I just mentioned. He doesn't mind slinging it out in the pocket and throwing some bombs if he needs to, but he does have that wrestling game in his back pocket. However, I just don't think he blends it well with his uh, striking game, which allows opponents to kind of uh, see the takedowns coming, stop the takedowns, and get out of the way of those spots. Julius Angliskis, very solid black belt, or sorry, a very solid boxer, uh, and he utilizes range and his distance management pretty well. 
He uses straight shots down the middle to keep his opponents at bay, and he uses his footworks to cut angles so that he can get off on good combinations that opponents have uh, difficulty in terms of defending or seeing coming. I think he's going to be the better striker in this matchup, and I think the poor takedown entries from Yagshi Muradov will allow Angliskis to get out of the way and eventually get to distance and get get to work with his boxing unless Yagshi Muradov shows off a side of his wrestling game that I haven't seen yet I do like the Angliskis side not with a, a bunch of confidence um, I would be more so privy to wanting to bet him as an underdog more than as a favorite but I do like uh, Angliskis in this fight to showcase his boxing as he did in his first couple of Bellator bouts and go on to win a decision victory next up we got Striker versus grappler here and Khalid Murtazaliyev going up against Tony Johnson. I'm very intrigued by this matchup. Now, Khalid Murtazaliyev is 2-1 and one in his Bellator campaign thus far, going 1-1 one, one in, or well, I guess, um, win-loss win in his last three fights. That loss coming against uh, regional veteran uh, Anthony Adams. Now, that was a fight where Mertes Aliyev was unable to secure takedowns effectively enough to get enough control time to do damage from on top, where he is usually best in his matchups. As you would expect with somebody with that last name, Mertes Aliyev, yes, he prefers the grappling realm, the wrestling realm, because his striking game is just power shots, you know, not not a lot of uh, finesse, not a lot of combination work or anything. He's just throwing big shots to either knock you down, knock you out, or close that distance so that he can eventually drag you to the mat. Tony Johnson, very solid boxer. He's very long and lanky for this division as well, where he's able to establish his distance with his jab, utilize his footwork and his movement to just stay on the outside and beat or box his opponents uh, up for the majority of 15 minutes. I'm very impressed with his takedown defense, and that is what you would expect for a guy that's been training for the most of his career at American Kickboxing Academy. He doesn't look to utilize grappling offensively unless he's going up against another striker like Joe Schilling like he did a couple fights ago. More often than not, he prefers to keep fights on the feet and he does a great job with his takedown defense, his ability to work right back to his feet and his uh, unwillingness to settle on bottom is what I really like about him specifically in this matchup. He's a big underdog in this fight, as you would expect with a 40-year-old who's a, a boxer going up against a grappler like Murta Zaliev. However, we've seen Khalid struggle with fighters that, you know, are unwilling to just settle on their back and um, are better striker this, than him, just like the Anthony Adam, Adams fight that happened a couple of fights ago. And I think that's what he's going to be facing here in Tony Johnson. I think Murta Zaliev is going to struggle to keep him on the mat here. And as uh, Johnson has showed in past fights, even while defending takedowns, he does a good job of dishing out damage so it looks better for the judges. He's the one damaging his opponent. He's not the one just struggling to get takedowns and holding on to his opponent. And we've seen in most cases now that judges are more privy to score damage over control time. So as long as Tony Johnson still showcases the takedown defense and get-ups uh, that he has showcased in his previous fights, I think he's a very live underdog in this matchup to go out there and outbox Khalid and win this fight via decision. So I'm going to make him my dog of the night likely here, and I do like him in the spot to stop the takedowns, get back to his feet, and utilize his boxing and his range management to get off on better shots and win this fight by decision. Next up, we got Josh Hill fellow Canadian, going up against Cass Bell. Now, both these guys are 35, 36 years old and closer to the twilights of their career than they are the primes. 
Josh Hill, obviously coming off a loss to a very solid prospect in Marcos Breno, where uh, it seemed like the youth speed and just overall skill advantage of Breno was too much for Josh in the early goings of that matchup. He got absolutely torched in the striking realm and though uh, grappled in the second realm, uh, second round and then in the third round Josh Hill knew that he was behind so he started to let it go a little bit more and was able to get some success but unfortunately it was too little too late for him Josh Hill at his best is a solid technical boxer in the pocket in the pocket however he does his best work when he's able to drag fights to the ground and grind his opponents out from on top that is what he should be able to do here in this matchup against Cass Bell who is a decent striker but is another fighter who does his best work when he's able to get the top position again against his opponents Unfortunately, his wrestling is just not the greatest, and he eked out a split decision as a big underdog in his last matchup against Jared Scoggins, but I think that more so had to do with the fact that Scoggins slowed down in that matchup, and Bell was able to take advantage in that last round. Josh Hill is not going to slow down, and I think that he'll do a good job of staying out of the submission threat that Caspell provides off of his back, and Josh Hill will be able to... Uh, you know, do some good work from on top, get some good control time from that top position, and grind this grind this fight out en route to a decision victory. Next up, speaking of grapplers, we got Enrique Barzola going up against Eric Perez, and I love Enrique Barzola in this matchup. I'm kind of surprised that he's still around that minus two sixty, minus two seventy range, as I fully expect the the the. Um, the steam to start coming in on him over these next couple of days, pushing him closer to that minus 350, minus 400 range, which is where I believe he should be. He's a very solid grappler. And that's not usually the case from fighters that are hailing out of uh, Latin America, but he has spent a wealth of time over at American Kickboxing Academy. And he has showcased during his run with Bellator, you know, he's gone two and two in Bellator. Although all of those have come against high level opponents, defeating Darion Caldwell and, um, and Nikita Mihailov, he came up short against Magomed Magomedov and Rafion Stotts. And you can't really uh, blame him for those two losses considering the high level in which those two fighters compete with. I believe it was Rafion Stotts. I'm not sure why I'm second-guessing myself as to... the. Oh, sorry, it was Juan Archuleta, not Rafion Stotts. It was Magomed Magomedov, a fight that he was very competitive in, but then eventually lost in that fourth round. And then Juan Archuleta, another fight he was competitive in. Unfortunately, he was just a little bit too behind in the striking realm in that matchup but in this fight against Eric Perez another former UFC fighter Perez hasn't had the best go in the cage either I believe he's gone one and two in his Bellator career with his losses coming to guys like Josh Hill and uh, Toby Misech uh, but he showcased in his last fight against Blaine Shot that if he can stop the takedown game of his opponents, he is usually the better striker, and that's what he was able to do against Shut. He even had some good success in that top position when he was able to get that. However, I think he's going to struggle with the forward pressure and wrestling pace that Barzola is going to be putting on him, which will keep Perez on his back for the majority of this matchup. In the striking realm, I do believe that Perez has the advantage, but I don't think it's so much so to the point that Barzola is going to struggle with closing the distance to eventually get his grappling game going. I think Barzola puts him through the ringer here, puts him through the grinder here, and wins this matchup by decision without too much resistance in the spot. I love Barzola here, and I'm fully expecting him to meet very little resistance en route to a decision victory. Next up, we got Michael Venom Page going up against Coyote Yamauchi. Very fun matchup here, and I expected Michael Page to be a bigger favorite in this fight, given the public love that he normally gets, but 
I do have to side with the underdog here in Dayoti Yamauchi, who, in my opinion, is the better overall mixed martial artist. Now, he's going to have a little bit of a sky, size discrepancy to deal with, as he actually started off his Bellator career at 145 pounds, and he slowly worked his way up to 170 pounds, although he was forcibly uh, moved to the welterweight division because he was having trouble making the 155-pound limit. However, he's done very well in this welterweight division, especially in his last matchup where he was able to deliver a nasty knockout over Naaman Gracie. And that's the part I want to focus on here is Dayoti Yamauchi holds the record for most submission victories in Bellator. Although his striking is very much starting to come along, sometimes you see him in that karate stance and he does a very good job in terms of blitzing forward or countering his opponents with his straight shots down the middle. And that's what he's going to have to look to do here against Michael Page, who will likely be looking to tread on the outside. However, I think Iote will do a great job in terms of anticipating those incoming blitzes and crashing the pocket that Michael Page will do. He will either counter with some big strikes of his own or be able to change levels, get this fight to the ground, and utilize his superior jujitsu. I know Logan Storley struggled a little bit with keeping Michael Page down, but Dayote Yamauchi's BJJ is so good that I think Page is going to struggle to get him off of him once Gaiote is able to get a hold of him. I think Gaiote will eventually be able to find a submission in this matchup. I like the fight doesn't go to decision. I like the unders in this matchup as well. It could either come from a knockout from the Michael Page side or what I believe is going to happen, a Gaiote Yamauchi submission victory. Look for him to get this grappling going and eventually work to get a choke and get the victory and get his hand raised i'm going with coyote as my uh, as another solid underdog for this card next up we got a rematch in the heavyweight division where we got valentin moldovsky going up against linton vassell first time these guys matched up was actually the first time that vassell competed in the heavyweight division in bellator and he came up short in a relatively close fight he was winning the first half of that matchup and then it seemed like he started to gas out and Moldovsky was able to pull off a reversal in that second round and after that he pretty much controlled the rest of the fight. It was Linton having some grappling success early in that fight but it was Moldovsky's success in the grappling realm in the second half of the fight which ended up getting his hand raised. Vassell has yet to lose a fight since that matchup and has showcased a very solid grappling uh, prowess since that fight. He's very strong and big for this heavyweight division. And it's crazy to me that he used to fight a light heavyweight considering how jacked he is at this heavyweight division. He usually comes in between that 240-250 range and he does a very good job of utilizing his strength to get his opponents to the ground and grind them out. However, I think the level of opponents that he's been going up against since fighting Moldovsky is just not at Moldovsky's level. I think Vassell does a great job in terms of controlling opponents on the mat, but you do see his cardio start to come into play or his lack of cardio come into play later on in fights. Luckily for him, Tyrell Fortune was unable to take advantage of that cardio issue and ended up finding himself on his back in the latter half of that matchup, which is why he ended up losing that fight by decision. Vassell has been able to dispose of his other opponents early on, so we can't see the uh, ugly cardio game that he has. But I think that v Valentin Moldovsky is a perfect opponent to push this fight into the deep waters where he'll be able to take over late, just as they did in their last fight. I'm not too big on the big chalk price on Moldovsky here because that first fight was close. You know, I think people just see that W on Moldovsky's record and be like, all right, he's just going to win. But what if Vassell wins eight minutes of this 15-minute fight and that's enough for him to get his hand raised? It's absolutely possible. Vassell is not a bad underdog to take as he showcased that he can be very live in the grappling realm should this fight take place in that realm, which I believe it will. 
but I'm still going to lean with the Russian here. I believe he wins by a slim margin in this matchup. So the value, if you want to say, could be on the Vassell side. But I do like Moldovsky to win most of the grappling situations here, especially late in this matchup, which will allow him to get his hand raised by decision. All right, next up, we got the first of two World Grand Prix lightweight matchups here for the opening round. And this first one goes down between Tofik Mosayev going up against Alexander Shabli. Probably the fight that I am looking forward to most on this card because it is very competitive and it's going down between the two, well, I don't want to call them dark horses of the of the tournament, but guys that haven't really gotten the love from the Bellator masses that you would expect. Obviously, Musaev came in highly touted into the Bellator cage. Obviously, he had a very long winning streak that got him recognized when he was competing for Risen. And although he went out with an L against Roberto D'Souza in his last fight with Risen, people were still very much excited for him to step into the Bellator cage. He delivered on a quick knockout over Sydney Outlaw in his debut, and that has earned him his spot in this World Grand Prix, and I'm looking forward to seeing how far he can take it. He's a strong wrestler, but his striking game is a little bit limited as he utilizes a lot of power, a lot of explosive movements to try to knock his opponents out. Obviously, it will work out against certain level of opponents, but for him to have true success, he needs to get opponents to the ground, but I'm just not completely sold on his ability to control his opponents on the mat, which I think will cap his ceiling in the Bellator cage. His opponent, Alexander Shabli, is a very disciplined and patient striker who utilizes his range very well and outstrikes his opponents from distance more often than not. He throws in combinations, loves throwing those shots right down the middle, and has a very solid kicking game too. His grappling game is obviously a very bright spot in his game, but I think he is better of a defensive grappler than he is an offensive grappler. And he'll have to use all of his defensive capability capabilities here to keep this fight in the striking realm where I think he's going to have the advantage over Musayev. I am a little bit concerned that Musayev's relentless pace might catch up to Shabli here, but I think as this fight starts to go on and if Shabli can establish his range correctly here, he should be able to touch up Musayev from distance and even have some grappling success of his own to change things up throughout this 25-minute matchup. I do lean Shabli. I do think he is the dark horse of this entire tournament, and I do think he gets his hand raised by decision in this matchup by putting together a much better overall game. Musayev will have his success with the takedowns and some big shots, and he might even be able to hurt uh, Shabli on certain, uh, in certain occasions. But I think the overall better game will come from Shabli with his striking, with his defensive grappling, and possibly even his offensive grappling in, as this fight gets dragged into deeper waters. So I'll go Alexander Shabli to advance to the second round of the World Grand Prix via decision. Main event time, no need to spend too much time on this because I'm a big ben Benson Henderson fan, but even I can admit that this is a horrible matchup for him. You got minus 2100 was the last that I saw on Usman Nurmagomedov. Now, Henderson could possibly make this a little bit of a competitive fight in the aspect of he won't completely get steamrolled. He's very difficult to put away. Not many have been able to put him away throughout his career. And as we saw in Nurmagomedov's last fight against Patricky Pitbull, which is where he claimed the lightweight title, he doesn't mind being slow and methodical and just picking his opponent apart and not rushing a finish if it doesn't come to him. Henderson does a great job in terms of staying safe in bad positions, and I think that's where he'll end up finding himself for the majority of this matchup. I think Nurmagomedov will be able to pick apart Benson Henderson on the feet and get that grappling going if he needs to, but I don't know if it's going to translate into a finish for him here. Again, Henderson is a high-level BJJ black belt. It's going to be very difficult to submit him, and it's going to be very difficult to assert a very dominant position where Usman will be able to rain down big shots to put him away. So I think the 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 spot here to take might be the 
Nurmaga made off by decision. I haven't been able to actually see what that prop is before recording here, but I would assume it would be pretty good because a lot of people, whenever you see a, a very big favorite, a lot of people assume that he's just going to go out there and crush his opponent, which makes the, the inside the distance prop on him like minus 400. But there could be some value on the decision prop here for Nurmaga Madoff. And even though Henderson is in his 40s at this point in time, I still think that he has enough fight left in him to at least see the judges' scorecards against the guy of the level of Usman Nurmaga Madoff. But let's face it, Nurmaga Madoff is going to get his hand raised here. And he'll likely go on to win this entire Grand Prix. But I think that this is a great name for him to add to his resume. A good uh, experience for him to go up against a guy as tough, rugged, and experienced as Benson Henderson. And I think that this will only do good things for him as he starts to work through his professional MMA career. Again, still very young, 24, 25 years old. And to have this much amount of skill, absolutely insane. I'm going to go Usman Nurmagomedov. I'm going to pick him to win this fight by decision. I'll look at the overs as well as a potential spot to enter for this matchup. Uh, but I like Usman to win this fight pretty much however he wants. But I think it's going to come via decision. There you guys go. All 12 Bellator 292 fights broken down for you guys. I pride myself on being one of the very few guys within the space that drops full car Bellator breakdowns. I'm sure you guys um, appreciate it as well. And I'm sure you guys appreciate even more it coming out a couple days before the fight rather than less than 24 hours before the fight. And I will always work to try to make it earlier and earlier for you guys. As I said at the top of the show, PFL Challenger Series Week 7 and LFA 154 breakdowns are strictly on the patreon link in the description below best prediction best prop and best hedge well i guess depending on how many props they drop for these fights but either way i go through every single matchup for those regional shows with a fine tooth comb so that you guys don't have to do the hard work i got you guys covered check it out link in the description below and also tomorrow thursday lucky trinity drop in uh which i've already dropped on the patreon so they might have gotten better odds that you guys might get but still i will drop that video for you guys tomorrow and then three best prop bets for ufc las vegas as well will drop on friday all right appreciate you guys and i will see you guys later on this week for the content that i just talked about peace Last thing. <laughs>